and welcome to episode 27 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes for the bard to properly tune their loot. This week, we're digging into the classic genre, fantasy. First, we discuss a few games we've played recently, like Startups, Takenoko, and Sagrada. Then, we're talking about games in the fantasy genre, our thoughts about the genre as a whole, and why you shouldn't discount games just because they have a fantasy theme. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word fantasy. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. Recently, I played a few games. I played Rolling Stock version 2, which you can hear about in episode 26, and I liked it a lot. But I also got to play Startups, which is a new Oink Games that was published in 2017. And we've talked about Oink Games before. They're the publisher that has these small little box games like Deep Sea Adventure, Fake Artist Goes to New York, and Insider. They're so tiny and awesome. (laughs) Yeah, so far I've liked every game that I've played of theirs, and I still do after playing Startups. (laughs) My coworker recently went to Japan and he bought a couple of games there. So he got Startups there and brought it back. And I played it twice with my coworkers. It plays three to seven players. I've played it with three players only so far. But in startups, there's cards that are are shares of different startup companies. And the companies have cute little logos. Like one of the names is Hippo Power Tech, and it has a little hippo with a (laughs) cord as his tail. (laughs) But at the end of the game, whoever has the most shares in each company gets points from from the other people who have shares in that company. So, for example, if I have three shares and Cassidy has one, she has to give me one of her points at the end of the game. So you want to have either the majority of shares or no shares in each company, which is kind of interesting. So during startups, on your turn, you draw a card and play a card, and you always have three cards. And you can play to your own stock area, which means you have it, or you play to the market face up. And when there's face up cards in the market, you can take one of those as your draw, or you have to put a coin on each card that's face up in order to draw from the face down deck. And also for each company, there's this anti-monopoly token that goes to the person who has the most shares. So that person can't take that uh, company from the middle when it's face up. So you end up wanting to like hold the shares in your hand to surprise the other players at the end of the game to get the most. I really enjoyed startups. My coworkers enjoyed it too, and they want to play it more. Um, it was it was really interesting. The first game we didn't actually discard to the market much, so it was mostly drawing from the main deck. But the second day, game was really different. We all discarded a lot to the market, and no one wanted those shares because there was one person who had the majority, and then the, the other two of us didn't want to take them. So we had to like decide whether we wanted to take one of the cards from the market or pay. A bunch of money to not take those cards and when it has enough money on the cards in the middle you can take it and get the money so there's like a a choice to make whether it's worth it to have that stock at the end i really enjoyed startups man between the oink games and the pack o games <laughs> i'm uh i'm digging the small box games coming out in yeah. recent times I, i'm getting so many of them that it's going to fill up all my pockets <laughs> we need we need a a board game cargo pants or something. <laughs> we we need the the board game equivalent of Jinkos from the 90s, the giant pants with lots of pockets for your tiny board games. 
That's what uh, diaper bags are good for. <laughs> yeah. I'm keeping it sort of old school, I guess, after talking about Seven Wonders in our last episode. And I'm talking about Takinoko, which also came out in 2011. And plays two to four players, and it's about 45 minutes, I'd say, and it's another Asmodee game. In Takinoko, each player is working to create a beautiful Zen garden for the Japanese emperor. This is a difficult task because the emperor received a panda as a gift from the Chinese emperor as a symbol of peace. While you're working to create your garden, the panda has to eat so your gardener is running around growing some bamboo and the pandas running around eating the bamboo like right on the gardener's trail each player begins their turn by rolling the weather die and then they obtain the benefit of uh that effect that they roll so there are six different sides obviously it's six-sided die so there's six different sides one of them is random and can be one of the other five options and i'm not going to go crazy into detail on what all those do but they're all good for you (laughs) nothing's bad Uh, after you roll the die and get the effect of that then you're going to take your actual actions which are two different actions of the ones available the weather die can actually give you a third action if rolled correctly or it can give you two of the same action so you that kind of affects uh, your decisions on which actions to take. So the actions available are letting you build plots for your garden so your bamboo can grow. It's letting you move the gardener so he can go grow bamboo. It lets you move the panda so the panda can go eat the bamboo. It all revolves around the bamboo, guys. All of it. So there are three different colors of bamboo, and each player is going to have objective cards. Um, The goal of the game is to have the most victory points in objective cards, not necessarily the highest number of objective cards. While you're growing your garden and your bamboo and you're letting the panda eat, you have objective cards that revolve around all of those too. So you want to build the plots in, in a shape that works with your plot objective goals so that you have like the three green plots together and stuff like that so you can finish that objective the panda one is probably my favorite because you have a little panda belly on your player card area and when you eat the bamboo it goes in your little panda belly until you finish that objective and it's the most adorable thing i've ever seen in a game i think um so that's takinoko it's fun it's cute it's easy to cheat or cheat it's easy to teach (laughs) it's a very accessible game for new players and i really enjoy my time with it i think not only is it accessible but it since it looks so pretty when it's set up i think that's an easy way to kind of draw people into it because like that little panda figurine man yeah yeah between the little figurines and then when you're growing the bamboo it's not just like cardboard tiles that you're putting down it's actually like tiny little bamboo shoots that actually are stacking up which is really cool too have you played with the any of the expansion content for the game? Yeah, I actually have the Chibi's expansion, and it gives you a little lady panda figure. Mama <laughs> and panda. Yeah, that's they they that's what happens. They procreate. Um, <laughs> so we're not going to give any life lessons on board game blitz today, but you can imagine what the pandas do. 
<laughs> so when you take a panda action with the Chibi's expansion, you can move the male panda or the female panda. If the, I think it's if the female panda ends on the same tile as the male panda, then you get a little baby panda token, which is victory points at the end of the game and an extra bonus that you can take immediately. It's really cute. And I was actually kind of looking forward to tiny little baby panda figures. And that didn't really happen, but Aww. that would have been cool. <laughs> you know what? I would I would be surprised if somebody on like Etsy or something isn't making little tiny mm-hmm. pandas. Even if they weren't making them for the board game, I bet you could get little tiny panda figurines to bump up your game. <laughs> accessorize it as as it were. Well, let's move from the Orient uh, over to Europe because the game that I have been obsessed with recently is Sagrada, which is from Floodgate Games. It just uh, shipped to Kickstarter backers just now in 2017, and it's hitting retail any day now. I believe this month, but I'm not certain exactly when. So in it, players are drafting different colors of dice and placing them on their personal window board to create a stained glass window that's reminiscent of the beautiful stained glass windows in the Sagrada Familia Basilica in Barcelona. Each player's individual window board has unique color and shade requirements, and shades are technically the pips on the dice, and those requirements have to be met when you're placing dice. And two dice cannot be, or the dice that are next to each other can never be the same color or the same pip value. So there's a lot of placement rules, but players can use a randomly drawn set of tools to help manipulate the dice as well as where they place them or move them later. And the players are competing against one another to complete secret, uh, each player has a secret objective related to the color of a die. And then there's public objectives that are out for everyone to go for, which there's a bunch of different cards and only three get drawn each game. But they might say, you know, all of the dice in, a, in each column, if they're a different color, you get X number of points. Or if you have a line of diagonal dice that are all the same color, you get points for that. So things like that. It sounds kind of intimidating when you first sit down and look at all of the different restrictions to how you can place dice. But truthfully, this game is puzzly in the best way, and it isn't that difficult to get into. So while you're restricted in how you can place dice from the get-go, as you place dice and get further into it, it actually gets a little bit easier when you have less options. The players are drafting dice in the style of a snake draft, which if for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, that means the first player will draft, then the second player, then the third, then the fourth, then the fourth will draft again, third, second, and first. So it's interesting that the it's not just based on turn order for drafting. So if you get to the pick of the first die, then that means you're not going to get to pick again until the very end. So you have less options at that point. But some of the tools will actually allow you to manipulate the order in which you choose dice as well. I love this game so much. It is pretty to look at. It is quick to play. It's easy to get into. And the decisions that you have to make where you might have to sacrifice one bonus for another or you have to fulfill the placement rules and that's going to mess up your bonus scoring. It's interesting. And I've been playing the copy of the game that my friend got from Kickstarter and I'm kicking myself for not backing it when it was on Kickstarter. But I'm going to be getting my own copy as soon as possible 
100% this is going into my collection. And if you like dice allocation or dice drafting games that are pretty light, uh, I would highly recommend Sagrada. So for this week's thematic discussion, we're talking about the fantasy genre and fantasy games in general. And this is an interesting discussion because I think in board games, a lot of people are kind of tired of fantasy or they think they might be tired of fantasy. But a lot of people probably don't even realize how big and broad the fantasy genre has become over time. So for those who are like, wait, what is fantasy? Like, what does that actually mean? Um, the loosest definition basically means that it's uh, a setting that's in an imaginary universe. So there are fantastical things or supernatural elements that you would not find in the real world today or could even imagine would be possible in the future. So that's... And it's, there's a lot of other definitions and stuff that we could dive into, but why, you guys, why do you think fantasy is such a popular setting for board games or gaming in general? Well, I think like part of board gaming is you want to get away from your everyday life and do something different. So having a theme that's completely made up and not realistic is, can be nice because it's like more more of an escape maybe that that's actually really yeah that's an interesting point i mean it's the same reason people read a lot of fantasy mm -hmm. novels because escapism is a thing and people like to do that but as for fantasy like to your point where you were giving the broadest definition isn't just about every <laughs> board game a fantasy board game and except for those that are based on actual historical events well, no, because fantasy fantasy doesn't mean fantasy doesn't mean fiction. So, but fantasy means something that can't be that's not in real life, right? Right. But I would say the majority of games. Well, I don't. Majority is probably the wrong word to use. I would say a a lot of games are not fantastical. Like, for instance, all of the eighteen XX games that Ambi plays, or. Even, like, Takenoko that you were talking about, like, that kind of stuff. Like, there's nothing supernatural about those types of games. I mean, even something like Camel Up, which it's kind of ridiculous to bet on a camel race, but that's entirely possible in our world as it exists mm -hmm. now. So there's nothing fantasy related there. Uh, or even something like... So here... Oh, this is an interesting distinction to be made. So a lot of times the line between fantasy and sci-fi can kind of blur. But I um, I was actually curious to know what the actual difference is because I wasn't 100% sure. And there's a really interesting quote from Isaac Asimov. <clears throat> Someone asked him to explain the difference between science fiction and fantasy. And he replied that science fiction is given its grounding in science and therefore is possible where fantasy does not have a grounding in reality. So it is not possible. So magic or ghosts or Cthulhu monsters, that kind of stuff would, you know, fall in fantasy. Whereas specter ops, <laughs> you know, with like cyborg creatures is kind of more grounded in reality. So therefore is possible. I don't know. Specter ops has a beast in it though. 
<laughs> there's there's a lot of mixtures in board games too. Yeah, it's kind of like hard to. It's blended. To, it is very blended, and I think that's what makes them interesting. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that whether we, whether it's on a conscious or a subconscious level, a lot of people play fantasy games not just to escape, but also to feel more powerful mm-hmm. than they do in their regular lives to make themselves feel like they are bigger and more epic. I know I enjoy embodying a character that has a lot of cool powers and abilities. And, you know, like when you have a bunch of bad guys all around you and you just destroy all of them all at once, that's such a cool feeling. So, and I definitely, if I was surrounded by bad guys in real life, I'm not going to be able to do a whole lot about it. So I know there has been talk in the past on other podcasts and other board game media about the fantasy theme kind of being played out or overused. Do you guys think that's the case? And I guess this would be this would be generic fantasy, I suppose, which sorry, like more like kind of the D&D universe, the standard tropes of like, you know, the 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 fighter and the rogue and the archer and elves and dwarves and goblins and that kind of stuff. I guess it would be what I would call generic fantasy. I don't think it's played out, but I personally am a huge fan of fantasy, so I don't think I I don't think it would ever be to a point where I say, nope, this is too much fantasy. No more elves, please. Like, we just get on with whatever else is happening. I don't think that that's a a thing for me personally. Yeah, I don't, I can't think of that many fantasy, like generic fantasy games that I play. So to me, it's not, I I actually can't think of that many that are played out. There's a lot in role-playing games, but I can't think of that many, like a whole lot of board games that use it too much. I don't know. There's a lot. Yeah, but <laughs> there, like, I, yeah, but I don't see it as much as other things, like zombies. Yeah, but I guess zombies is kind of fa- fantasy too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think zombies would qualify. I think that would be more like horror fantasy. Yeah, like Cthulhu is also horror fantasy, right? But yeah, <clears throat> that's true. Th- there's a lot of subgenres of fantasy. So fantasy is such a wide genre that it's. I don't know if you can play it out because it it's so all encompassing, kind of. That's a good point. One of my top three games of all time is generic fantasy themed. And I actually had a friend recently ask me why Runebound was one of my top games of all time, because I really like thematic games. And he thought that the generic fantasy theme wouldn't excite me that much. And to some degree, he's kind of right. Uh, Runebound is a really, really cool epic adventure game. And there is a bit of nostalgia in that one for me because I started playing it early in my tenure, near the beginning of my tenure as a modern board gamer. It was really my first big epic board game. So the nostalgia factor does play into that for me. But even it, but it whole has held up over time. Like I've played it multiple times since discovering all the other games that I love. And I, it's, I still love Runebound just as much as I did in early on. So let's say somebody thinks that the fantasy theme is kind of played out for whatever reason, whether they're right or wrong, but their friends want them to play something that's fantasy themed or their friends, I don't know, or maybe they're, one, they're looking for something different. What are some games that use the fantasy theme, but maybe not in the traditional ways that people would expect? Or do we think there's any games that kind of help broaden the appeal? So one of my favorite games Dungeon Pets has uses the fantasy theme, 
but from the other perspective. So normally there's people going in a dungeon and killing all the monsters, but in Dungeon Pets, you are raising the monsters as little baby pets and selling them to the dungeon lords. So it's like the opposite perspective. And it's really cute. I don't don't think Clank really does anything new or unique or exceptionally different for the fantasy theme. But it's not your typical fantasy dungeon dive, I guess, because... There really aren't monsters. Well, there are, but they're not it's, super it's, prevalent. Yeah, it's less hack and slash, as you would kind of expect, I imagine, yeah. a dungeon crawler to be. I mean, you're, you're really just trying to get in and out with as much loot as you can as quietly as possible so that you don't have to fight and be destroyed by the dragon. I've talked about Clank a lot. I really like it. So <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. I've played it a few times recently. It's great. We've, I also recently talked about Roleplayer. That one's kind of interesting because it takes the character creation aspect of D&D and turns that into a board game. And it's dice allocation, mm-hmm. similar to Sagrada, which I talked about earlier. It's actually, they're not really that similar, but it, they kind of are. Like, if I think Sagrada's more on the lighter end and Roleplayer's a little bit heavier, but they're I like both of them and they're kind of similar in mechanics to some degree. I actually got to play uh, the solo variant of Roleplayer a couple weeks ago, I think. And while I'm not a fan of dice games, I enjoyed it. And I, I'm pretty sure I enjoyed it because of the theme, which was a weird thing for me to say. <laughs> Did I really just say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody call the presses. <laughs> Cassidy, I must be rubbing off on you. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> from, from thousands of or hundreds of miles away. <laughs> There's also stuff like uh, Vast, the Crystal Caverns, which uh, came out last year. I still haven't gotten a chance to play it, but it's interesting that instead of like all of the characters forming a single party mm-hmm. that is going into a dungeon, each player controls... It's asymmetrical, and each player controls a different part of the adventure. Like, So one player yeah. is the thief, and one player is the goblins, and another player is the cave, and I still <laughs> cannot wrap my head around that. And when I play, when I finally play Vast, I think I just want to be the cave, because that's so interesting. Like, how many games allow you to play as the setting? That is not common. And I have heard, I've heard a lot of, like, stuff both good and bad about the game, but I still, just because it's so unique, I want to try it out. But yeah, it's really interesting that you get to play as the different characters because normally in generic, generic fantasy, everyone's just like the good guys trying to kill all the orcs and stuff. But but then it's nice seeing games where people can play as the quote bad guys and see like different views. That's true. There's some uh, one versus all games that are like that too. Mm -hmm. Well, slightly like Descent. Uh, Journeys yeah. in the Dark, where one player gets to control all the monsters against the rest of the group. Theory of Dracula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is along that same vein. Yep. And that one's got hidden movement in it, too, which makes it really interesting. And then I th- we would be remiss if we did not mention the biggest thing that everybody's pretty much talking about nowadays, which just funded its second edition on Kickstarter, which is Gloomhaven. I did back it as we I think I discussed in our Kickstarter episode and I it I don't need it. I don't 
And like at least three other people in my immediate game group also got copies of it through this Kickstarter. <laughs> so like there's going to be so many copies of Gloomhaven. But truthfully, the reason that I still backed it, even knowing that other people that I play with frequently are going to have copies of it is because it apparently has a really cool solo mode. And that's something that I think is not super common for fantasy games either like it's usually fantasy is kind of that whole forming a party and doing going out and do on an adventure and doing things so having games that allow you to immerse yourself in a fantasy theme by yourself that apparently so people say the solo mode of gloomhaven is really good that's that interests me so even though i don't do a lot of solo gaming i think this one might convert me so another fantasy game that has solo mode is lord of the rings lcg Uh, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and Lord of the Rings was like the big turning point in modern fantasy. Tolkien kind of made, changed fantasy into what we think of as generic fantasy, I think. So Lord of the Rings LTG is a cooperative living card game where you're trying to defeat all these monsters by playing the cards. The problem is it's a living card game, which means you have to buy scenario expansions in order to keep playing and that's why I traded it away, <laughs> but, but it, it was, it's still fun. Ambie is like the best of the three of us at culling her collection. It's, you, I, it's I really Toby. I have games sitting on my shelf. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I'm giving you credit anyway. I, I have so many games sitting on my shelf that I am probably never going to play again that I really should trade or sell, and my uh, laziness tends to win over. Anything I don't play that's sitting on my shelf... Anything I don't play this year is going away. That's a really cool idea, and I think I probably should do that. I don't know. I tend to... A lot of people in my game group buy the new hotness, and then I want to play their games, so I play my games less sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a cool strategy. Uh, We've gotten off track a little bit, but there are obviously hundreds and hundreds of other fantasy-themed games that we could mention or talk (laughs) about. But I think kind of the gist of all of this is that like the fantasy theme is not something that should be overlooked and it is really a wonderful playground for game creation and for game experiences. So I would say if you are one of those people that kind of goes, ugh, just another fantasy game, like maybe give give it a shot. Don't poo-poo the idea quite so quickly because there's some really cool stuff that has the fantasy theme. And there's a reason that there are so many games that are fantasy themed. They allow for neat experiences. So we we mm-hmm. like fantasy and you should yep. too. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden the, the little rainbow from the more you know commercial appears over the, <laughs> over the audio podcast. <laughs> I was just thinking about some of the really old fantasy games like Talisman and um, Hero Quest and HeroScape and all that. There's a reason that those games are the games that people still remember from years and years and years ago. Like, that, that's not a fluke. For this week's etymology segment, we figured there wasn't much of a reason to stray from our theme, so we're looking at the origins of the word fantasy. The modern word dates back to the early 14th century when its definition meant illusory appearance. We can trace it back through the old French fantasy, spelled with an I-E at the end, and fantasy, spelled with a P-H at the beginning, which both meant vision or imagination. 
Those words came from a word found in both Latin and Greek called Fantasia, but spelled with a PH, not with an F like Disney does it. <laughs> that meant power of imagination or appearance, image, perception. So that power of imagination thing kind of harkens back to the whole Disney thing. I didn't look up how they got the name for the Fantasia movie, but I imagine something similar. So if we go back a little bit further in the Greek language, there are a whole bunch of other related words, including phantos, meaning visible, and a word that I'm going to struggle to pronounce, phantasistai, meaning picture to oneself. Truthfully, there's a lot of other Greek words. I don't need to give them all to you because it would be, we'd, we'd have a, an hour long podcast. But the modern <laughs> word fantasy wasn't actually used as the name of a genre of fiction until 1949. So the modern thematic meaning of fantasy as a genre is pretty new. So that is the origins of the word fantasy. If you enjoy the etymology segment of the podcast or have suggestions for words related to board games that you think I should research in the future, hit me up on Twitter, either via the Blitz account that we'll mention in the end of show notes or my personal account, which is my full name, at Crystal Pisano. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. To support our show financially for as little as $1 a month, visit Patreon.com slash BoardGameBlitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel, where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, one blitz to rule them all, one blitz to find them, one blitz to bring them all, and in the darkness, play them. Bye, everyone. Bye. I'm going to need you guys to help me figure out how to pronounce Uh-oh. that. Oh, God. Let me see it. What is that? I don't know. What language is that? Fantasy. It is Greek.